Lord, it's always good to be in your presence and to come to your word and to, um, yeah, just consider uh, what you have to say to us. And so we want to say, Lord, that um, we do this because whenever, whenever we do this, um, you give us light for our lives. You know, your, your word is like a lamp um, for my feet, a light unto my path, and pray that you would um, let that be true today. I pray that uh, as, we, as we come today, we'd experience your living and active word, that the life of Jesus would be coming through your word today, that we would um, know your spirit uh, transforming our hearts and our minds today. And um, we pray that prayer because this is, the, this is what you, you, you died for. You died for us to experience your transforming presence, and we thank you for that and ask that it would be here. We, we know that you dwell in us, and we ask that we would um, be able to uh, just receive um, that today and, and, and believe it and that you would, you would move in our midst, Lord. We want to become like your son, Jesus, and we, we want to um, have your grace poured out to us that that could be true for our lives. And uh, so I thank you for your word. Thank you that we can open it and receive from it and, and your, your spirit would open the eyes of our hearts today, God, to receive that too. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. All right. So um, today we're going to be moving into the final chapter of the book of Hebrews. And it's like, woohoo, chapter 13, we made it. Um, it's been a long journey. And, and while it might feel like, hey, Chapter 13, that's good. We're nearing the end. It's actually, um, <laughs> chapter 13, there's a lot in there, and it might actually take us through to about Christmas time. So you'll have to forgive me. It's turned into a year on Hebrews, and um, that's okay. I, I told you we're slowing down this year. We're looking to Jesus, and that's, that's just what's happened. And, um, and so, uh, you know, while each chapter so far in the book of Hebrews has has sort of been really like rich in this Old Testament, Old Covenant sort of um, stories. And we've been going back to those stories and re-looking at those characters and, and, and putting our Jesus goggles on every week. It's kind of like you hit chapter 13 and you feel like the author's like, oh, I better, I better add in just a few things that I've been wanting to say but haven't had time to say yet. And so he just goes, here's one thing and here's another thing and here's another thing and here's another thing. And so it's kind of like this very rubber, rubber hits the road um, practical instructions for Christian living, you know. It almost feels a bit like um, a mini Sermon on the Mount in some ways, these first few verses of, of chapter 13. And so I was thinking, oh, how am I going to handle this with my series? And, and, you know, I can't put them all into one message, you know, so we'll just do lots of messages. <laughs> and so we're just going to do verse 1 today out of chapter 13. And um, it's going to become like a, a bit of a springboard um, it might feel like we're on a trampoline today. We're going we're gonna to bounce off of the first verse of chapter 13 in Hebrews and then go into another passage as we come up. And then we're going to land back down on that verse and come back up into another passage. And we might do that a couple of times today. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited about that because um, I, I hope that this might be a little bit refreshing for you. Um, every now and then, my sermons will sort of change in the way that they feel, maybe, or the way that I'm... I'm feeling God's asking me to share. So that's for today. And um, the other thing you need to know about today's message is that the context is still the same. While it, while it feels like the author's shifted his um, you know, content a little bit, what he's trying to say, 
the, the original readers are still the same people. They're still those first century Jewish Christians who are struggling with their faith, considering leaving the faith. They're weary, they're worn down, persecuted. This is still the context, right? They're still going through a tough time. And so the instructions they get in this chapter, it's not like we need to just throw out that context. We need to go, hold on, if they're going through a tough time, and the author of Hebrews is saying, as their, as their leader or as an, as an elder or, or a spiritual guide is trying to say, hey, here's some things you must not forget, some real practical stuff, then um, I think we should take that on board as well. You know, if we're going through a tough time, whatever we're um, moving through in our lives now that might be difficult, it's like, here's, here's a few things over the coming weeks that are like going to be important for us to hold on to. And so the first one is the first verse of Hebrews 13. I invite you to open up there on your apps or your Bibles or whatever you have with you or or your neighbor who might have a Bible open there. I'm going to read a few different versions today as well because whenever we look at one verse, it's kind of nice to do that, I think. So the NIV says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. The message version. Stay on good terms with each other, held together by love. The English standard version. Let brotherly love continue. (laughs) Let brotherly love continue. The amplified version. Let love of your fellow believers continue. And then the Passion Translation, which is a fairly new translation, similar to the message. I quite enjoy reading it. It says, no matter what, make room in your heart to love every believer. So there you go. That's enough translations of the one verse, I think, (laughs) for us to, to hear all of them. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So today is a bit like a commissioning, I, I feel like. You, know, you might not have realised when you come to church day that you're going to be commissioned um, to, to keep on loving one another and to, and to share God's love with others, but that's what's happening today. <laughs> I'm, I'm commissioning you, commanding you, com- commending you to go and to do that. Um, after all this in-depth thought, consideration, this long journey through these chapters in Hebrews, um, looking at the Old Testament, how does Jesus fulfill all of this Old Covenant stuff? What are, we, what are we to do with all of this information, all of this understanding, all of this deep, rich, awesome theology stuff that helps us understand who Jesus is? What are we to do with that? And the author of Hebrews says, just first thing, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And the kind of love we're talking about is not an emotion or a feeling for one another. It's not that like warm and fuzzy stuff that, that happens. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about very practical kind of love, you know, a take action kind of love. Keep on meeting one another's needs. That's what he's saying. He's saying um, keep providing for one another. And before we, you know, we might fall into a little trap here thinking he's saying, oh, when you come to church, it's about having your needs met. let's not fall into that trap. We need to reverse that and say, when we come to church, it's about what can I provide for my brothers and sisters there? What can I provide and give to the church family today? You know, that's what it means to keep on loving one another. He's saying, while you gather together as the church, while you're worn out, while while you're beat down, while you're bringing all sorts of things to church from the week that's been, 
think about what, you, what God might be equipping you to give to one another today. And in that, you'll be sharing God's love with each other. And so the focus, like I know we need to love all people. I get that. That's another sermon. But the focus today is um, particularly the family of believers, the people who you gather together with, who, who you've committed to and said, this is my church family. These, this is the, the soil God's planted me in for this season in my life. This is, the, this is the context of today for us. And so whatever we're walking in today, as I said, whatever we're carrying into today's uh, service from the week that's been, whatever hurt you might feel, um, you know, we need to switch on to the fact that God's brought us together for, for a purpose, right? To express his love to one another in practical ways, in action and in truth. Whatever I'm walking in at the moment, the commissioning today is to make sure that the people who we're committing to, that's, that's us, <laughs> that, that we're caring for one another's needs, that we're taking on a responsibility for each other. You know, there's that, it, this is the type of love that God's talking about here, that the, that the scripture talks about. It's like when you see your brother or sister in need, you assume that responsibility for yourself and you say, yeah, actually, I, I'm moved. I'm compelled to do something. This is the type of love that we're talking about. And so you get the feeling that the author's sort of, hey, guys, in closing, just as I sort of finish off this encouraging letter to you to remind you about who Jesus is and what our faith is all about, let's not forget this. We need to love one another as brothers and sisters. And so we're going to bounce off that verse now into our first passage, and it's First John chapter 3. And we're going to you have to forgive me, we're going to a lot of passages, or a few passages, more than I normally would try and tackle in a sermon, so we're going to move quickly, and you'll just have to bear with that. But um, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18 is the passage. We're just going to start in verse 11. John says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Okay, so connection to Hebrews 13 right there. We should love one another. Skip down to verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So what John is saying here is that this is like a marker for us. We know that we've entered into a relationship with Jesus when we love one another, when we, we feel, that, um, feel compelled to, to help and to take action and to see what we can do for others who, who God's placed us in relationship with in his church. And, um, you know, when we, when we find that hard, when we find that difficult to love the people God's placed us uh, in relationship with in his church, I think um, what's happening is, you know, it's not like, oh, you bad Christian, that's, you know, I think this is normal. <laughs> we, we all have this struggle at times. But when that happens, it's the old way. It's the, it's the old life sort of rearing its head again. It's that sinful nature sort of trying to drag us back to when we were dead spiritually, right? And, he's, and he says here, we, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. And if we're not able to love one another, then we're sort of like taking a backward step when we can't take action and, and feel responsibility for one another. And so it's, it's a marker. Love for one another is a marker of, of the faith um, that we have. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is, right? Just in case you're wondering, what is love? <laughs> um, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you were wondering about the way forward, you know, in our, in our journey together, if you wondered what's the blueprint for church, for, for a gathering of believers, this is it. Lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. You know, practical action for one another, <laughs> living out God's love for each other. It says in verse 17 and 18, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's like, don't just talk the talk, let's walk the walk as well. You know, let's, let's assume that responsibility that we feel for one another. So if you've ever wondered what does love look like or you're not sure how to describe it, you don't really need to go any further than this. Jesus died for us, right? He laid down his life for us. And when we see a, a brother or sister in Christ who's going through a difficult time, if we see them without something that they need and we have the ability to, to provide for them, this is practical application of the love that God has placed in our hearts, right? The love we've experienced in our own relationship with God. If there's no sense of responsibility, if there's no urge to help, if we don't feel compelled, then, uh, you know, how can the love of God be in us? <laughs> that's, what he's, that's what he's kind of saying. He's saying the kind of love that God gives to his church is the kind of love that takes action. We don't just talk about loving one another, but there's an expectation that we're going to do all that we can to care for one another. It's, this is a, not, not easy, you know, um, especially when church can sometimes feel like, oh, that's that group that I meet with on Sunday, and then I actually live out my church life during the week, um, you know, with my work friends and other Christians that I know who don't actually gather with me on Sunday. You know, there can be a bit of that that goes on. And so it's sometimes difficult for us to apply this wholly and solely to the the church gathering here. But um, there's a reason we keep coming to this place every Sunday, right? Um, I I don't know whether we've like thought it through, but I want to invite you to think that through. What keeps you coming back here as opposed to somewhere else? You know, and, um, and, and is there something that, uh, you know, you're thinking, okay, this, this, group of, this group of people, I have a love for them. I'm compelled to meet with them. I'm compelled to be sure that they're going okay in their journey of faith. Okay, That's a, it's, a, it's something to consider. Now, how is it possible that we can do this? How is it possible that, that um, you, know, you know, why is this, why is this, um, something that needs to be true of every church that gathers together. Why is, why is this acting in love important? And we're going to see it when we jump into um, 1 John chapter 4. So we're going over to the next chapter. Verses 10 to 12, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
And so the challenge um, to love one another today, it's not born out of obligation. I'm not trying to pressure us into loving one another, but instead the challenge to love one another, it needs to be born out of the experience of receiving God's love in our life. You know, that's, this is where um, it's, it's, like a, it's like an overflow, you know? You experience God's love. Wow, Jesus gave up his life for me as a sacrifice. He laid down his life for us. He laid it down for everyone. And I've experienced that and I place faith in Jesus. And now out of that understanding and, and out of his spirit that he places in me, I'm compelled to start loving other people, particularly the, the, the family of believers, And so, um, you know, the issue is when we claim that we serve a God of love who's done this for us and then we, we don't act on that, um, that's, where, that's where we find ourselves in a little bit of trouble. That's where people can misunderstand who we are and, um, and uh, what the church is, who the church is. I think... Um, you know, in Hebrews 12, when we're in there, verse 4, he said, he, the author says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. And I think, um, you know, we might be able to say we have not yet loved one another to the point of shedding blood. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's uh, something, something to, to consider. You know, we have not yet laid down our lives for others, but this is what Jesus did for us. And it's what we're invited to do for one another. So let's bounce back down to our our verse. And we're actually going to um, bounce into one more passage today. And it will be the last passage. Um, And while this one might seem a little bit further removed um, from the direct command we're getting to love one another, it doesn't actually really say that. What we're going to find is an example in the church, right, in the New Testament, where um, God's people found it hard to to love one another. And um, it was because of their differences of opinions. It was because of the way one group thought things should be compared to the way another group thought things should be. And this is starting to sound like the narrative that we get in different churches in, in uh, the 21st century, you know, when they find it hard to love one another. And, um, you know, so there was this sort of thing going on. I know you've probably never experienced that in your walk, you know, in your journey of faith where the church has trouble getting along with one another. But um, this, is, this is what the Apostle Paul writes about in, in uh, Romans 14. And um, I was prompted to, to bring this passage up and to finish on this one. It came up in our Bible study uh, this week. I was reminded of it. Um, talking about the weaker brother is, is one that, that might prompt you to remember this passage. But at the heart of the passage in verse 15 of Romans 14, it says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you are doing, and um, we'll bring up the context in a moment, then you are no longer acting in love. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you're doing, you're no longer acting in love. And I'm just adding that because of what you're doing so I don't have to talk about it because I'm getting there in a moment. But this is, this is like probably where we as a church might come across this more often than, than anything else. You know, we're fine to care for one another. You know, we could, sure, we could do better. But, um, you know, this is like we, we're happy to do that. But a place where we might struggle to love one another is when, well, they think we should do this. And I think we should do this, you know, and those things are different. 
And this is probably, um, in my experience, where I've seen the church struggle to love one another as I've grown up in the church, seen several churches struggle with this issue. Um, It's worth us considering for ourselves. You know, we're going through a different season as a church. Well, for one, new pastor. For for another one, um, COVID uh, season for... um, you know, just transition and um, in the life of the church, what I would like to see happen is that we set a good foundation, you know, with this issue particularly, you know, for the future. How are we going to handle these issues? And so the situation that was occurring um, is that in the first century, there are many pagan temples, right? And, um, you know, pagan worship would occur like where they would sacrifice animals and they would cook the meat and then they would eat that meat in honour of that God, and then they would sell that meat in the marketplace as well, it's, you know, and so anyone could come along and get themselves a, a kebab or whatever, and they're eating that meat, and um, so there was some new Christians in the church who'd come out of that culture of pagan worship and the marketplace, if you like, and um, they'd entered this church, and they'd, they'd come out of that culture, and to them, if they were going to continue to eat this kind of meat that had been sacrificed to idols having now become a Christian, it was an issue for them. They were like, man, I can't, can't handle that anymore. I'm not going to even go and buy meat from the marketplace. In fact, I don't think any Christian should do that, right? Because they were so concerned that they might fall into worshipping another God, right? And so then you had these more mature believers in the church. You know, they've been around a long time, strong in their faith. They know there's only one God. Those idols aren't even real, I'm going to get a kebab every day of the week. It doesn't matter. I like the taste. You know what I mean? And so this was the situation in the church um, as far as, you know, look, some scholar might uh, think, well, you didn't quite get that right, but this is the kind of thing that's going on, okay? And so um, tension grew over this issue you know, to the point where they were struggling to love one another. And, and what I want to read to you now is Romans 14 in the message version. It's just Eugene Peterson wrote the message version of the Bible. He does a fantastic job in the whole book of Romans. But this particular, this chapter, I think it's just like, man, it drives home so hard to me, this, this whole idea of loving one another in the context of issues that arise in, in, in church. And so I'm literally just going to read the whole chapter and I might comment a few times, but it's so good that you can just listen along. And, um, and this, is, this is what he says. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. <laughs> My goodness, it's good. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department, even when it seems like they don't really get that those idols aren't real. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. It's like, oh man, that is just so heavy, isn't it? (laughs) That's just so good. I just love that. Okay, keep going. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. (laughs) But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticising what the other ate or didn't eat? 
God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. I know this is swinging a pendulum, right, out, out a little bit far. You could probably balance those verses a, a little bit, but I'm going to let it just sit out on the edge for a while because, if anything, we need to be dragged out there a, a, a little ways. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. <laughs> you know, I was invited out to dinner by my best mate last night. He took me out to a fancy restaurant and shouted me a T-bone steak that was just the best steak I've ever had in my life. And I was thanking God for prime rib. You know what I mean? Like it was so good. That's what I think about when, when I read that verse. Um, where were we? Here we go. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. <laughs> oh, dear. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. Again, this is pushing a pendulum a little bit because when we commit to one another, there's a sense where we do need to humble ourselves and we do need to land on a decision, right? But let's, let's keep going. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. Petty tyrannies of each other. And I'm going to include some that might fit our context, right? Denominational differences. Um, Worship styles. Theological, uh, you know, um, debates. Petty tyrannies. What songs we should sing. What songs we shouldn't sing. What what we should, um, you know... uh, or, no, we'll, we'll leave that. There's petty tyrannies. You know some of them. So where does that leave you when you criticise a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> no, I, and this is me as well. I'm not saying, I'm not pointing this at you. This is myself too. I I'm, I'm, can be lumped into this group too. I need to hear this as much myself. Read it for yourself in Scripture. And he references Old, Old Testament here, Isaiah. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. He says, tend to your knitting. It's like, so mind your own business. 
You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else, making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me, that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? And that's the, that's the, like, that's the verse about love right there. <laughs> that's the one that I talked about. Verse 15, if you confuse others by making a big issue over whatever issue is present, <laughs> you're no longer a companion with them in love. You're no longer acting in love with your brother and sister. These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion for soul poisoning. There's some good words there. (laughs) You know, it's like he's saying, hey, guys, don't dare let these new baby Christians, you know, lose their faith over this issue. That's not the point. That's not the way it should be. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. And then, he's, and then he kind of gets this point where he's like, so... Let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. It's like those verses that say, do all that you can to live at peace with one another. And this is the reason, because our gatherings are not about being right. Um, You know, although truth is important, our gatherings are about everyone having a seat at Christ's table, enjoying fellowship with God, experiencing the transformation he brings into our lives. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? (laughs) I said it before and I'll say it again. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly, if you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to the others who are eating. You know, be sensitive and courteous to the others who are coming to consider what God's truth is for them and how that affects and impacts their own life. Be courteous and um, consider, you know, the other people who, who are here in this gathering of believers and see how you might love them rather than, um, you know, try and correct them or do these things. Don't eat or say or do things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You know, there are things that we can feel convicted about for ourselves and our own life, and in the context of our own relationship with God that don't actually have to apply to every Christian. 
You know, some of us, at the moment, Thursday is my Sabbath day. You know, I don't work on Thursdays. It's my family day. And, um, and for this season in my life, Thursday is my day off. But could you imagine if I told you, hey, you know what? Thursday suits me for my day off. Everyone else, you should take Thursday off too. That's a good day to have off. <laughs> you couldn't do it. It's not possible. And it'd be wrong of me to, to try and apply that, that, that what's good for my relationship with God um, you know, in, the, in that sense, to try and apply that to your relationship with God. It's not, it's not how it is. And this is a bit of what's going on here. You're fortunate if your behaviour and your belief are coherent. But if you're not sure, if you notice that you are acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinions on others and other days just trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. So that's the whole chapter. Thank you for <laughs> walking through that with me. It's, a, it's an awesome one, and I invite you to go and read it in whatever translation you like and, and consider those words there yourself. But I, I just think that's great. Um, and I don't think I can articulate it better than he did. Uh, but it's that time we need to make a response to the word. Um, we're being called to love one another. And there's, there's really those, those two sides of it, you know. Consider what can we do to show practical love for the people that, you know, I like to think of a church as like the soil that God plants us in for a time. And we can grow in that soil or our growth might be stunted in that soil, sadly. Um, or we might, you know, these things can go on. Um, different things can happen. But I want this to be a place where if we're planted here, we're going to grow and we're going to experience God's love through one another. And so I wonder, God might be challenging you to, to express that love in a practical way. And, um, and so I want to invite you to take that up. The other way is there might be things that you um, don't like about the way church is done. And, and you're harboring in yourself a bit of bitterness to say, oh, I wish we just did this at church or I wish that person would stop doing this or that or, or, put, or a good one is putting that on Facebook. How could they say that? They're a Christian, you know? This sort of stuff goes on all the time. How could they side with that political party? You know, how could they attend that denomination? You know, like this sort of stuff happens all the time. And, and God's saying, forget all of that. That's not what this is about. It's how can we love one another? How can we keep the peace with one another? How can we um, focus on our own journey and growth in our relationship with God? And so there's plenty there for us to take on board. And um, I wonder, God might be speaking to you about something particular. That's the thing that we need to apply. We need to consider. We need to ask help um, from God over. And so let me pray for you. Um, Lord, that's just such a challenging read. Such a heavy, um, yeah, heavy chapter to go through, and it, and this topic of love, um, Lord, we want it to be something that we're capable of, and really, we're only capable because because you are capable. We think of, um, yeah, one Corinthians thirteen verses four to eight. We often hear it at a wedding. You know, love is patient, love is kind, and it goes on and on. Um, I'm actually going to read that after our worship song. Actually, I'll find it and we'll read it. And, um, and Lord, we know that you are able to actually, actually do those things. You are patient. You are kind. You keep no record of wrongs. You are able to do all of these things, God. And, um, and so where we feel we're lacking in being patient, 
with one another, where we feel we're lacking in showing love and grace to one another, God. I ask that you would, you would fill the gap for us, that you'd empower us, that you'd equip us to do those things. Lord, we know this is the life that you uh, intended for us to live, to be people who are able to show love and care for, your, um, for, for one another. And, and this, is really the, this is really how people will know that we're your students, we're your disciples. It's by our love for one another. And so, Lord, we just today come with a sense of humility and, and, and a sense that we just need your help. And we want to set a foundation. We want to set good soil for us to grow and be planted in, um, in this place that we'd be able to, uh, yeah, apply this command to love one another. That it would be like, um, yeah, just a mark of who we are as a church. That people would say, that church there, you know, that, that small gathering of Christians, when you go into that place, man, they just care for your needs and they love you. And Lord, I pray that that would be true of us. Pray that we wouldn't just talk the talk, but we would walk the walk in that, Lord. And so we commit ourselves to you in this, in Jesus' name.